Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, volume 11, issue 537. And we're back on the road with Castlevania and the adventure, but also the adventure rebirth. It's a kind of two-game show, and joining me, Leon Cox, in this issue are Brian Edwards. Hello, hello. John Salmon. Hello. And Mikhail Croder. Hi. Hi. No audio no impressions. Too. <laughs> yeah. Nah, it's, it's Game Boy, you know, it's tough. It's tough, yeah. 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 You, can, you can't do can't do mono. No. <laughs> can't do 8-bit. Can right. I do a vocal impression of an eyeball rolling at you? I will sure. try. Um, yeah. Nah, never mind. I'm not going to try that. (laughs) (laughs) Disappointment. It's immediate buyer's remorse. (laughs) Dracula Densetsu. The Legend of Dracula is the original name of the game. Translated over here and in the West generally to Castlevania The Adventure. But actually, if you look at the logo, it has been pointed out that it rather reads The Castlevania Adventure, which could have rolled off the tongue a bit more smoothly. But anyway... It's the fourth game in Konami's series of gothic horror-themed 2D action platform games and the first handheld game in the series. I think it's got quite an interesting development as well, um, or at least some of the names behind it may surprise you. But first we have to go back to the late 80s or early 90s, possibly. And we've got somebody who was there, I believe, a young Brian with a Game Boy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was um, one of the few games I actually had for my Game Boy. I inherited a Game Boy from a friend of mine, and I had, um, <laughs> so I had obviously Super Mario Land 2 and then uh, Castlevania The Adventure, and it really turned out to be a um, uh, pretty rare game called Amazing Tater, <laughs> which I have still, which is wow. awesome. But, is um, that about a potato? It is. It's a puzzle game where you're a potato on wheels. Oh, we'll we'll do the cane and rinse on that someday. Yeah, I'm put sure. it on the list. Yeah, um, but... But yeah, so Castlevania Adventure was a was a big part of my childhood. I remember lots of evenings um, spent in the corner recliner with the lamp on behind me to try to see as I was playing through uh, Castlevania the Adventure. Um, if you would have asked me now, I would have said, oh yeah, I beat that game a few times when I was a kid. And then now as an adult replaying it for the show, I think that I did not get as far as I thought that I did in my youth. Because um, a couple of the later stages, I don't particularly the final boss fight, I don't remember almost at all. But yeah, I probably played... You know, dozens of hours of it the way you do as a kid uh, with a Game yeah. Boy. But now, uh, as an adult, I replayed it via emulation for um, for the show. And then I also played um, the Rebirth, Castlevania Adventure Rebirth, on yeah. uh, WiiWare emulation for the show as well. Yes. Yeah, it's interesting. I suppose it's not surprising, but it's always relevant. We talk about context and our experiences with, with these games and how they play a part. And I've I've been, as always, watching some videos on the game and reading some articles, and it is interesting how the people who have come to this game after playing other Castlevanias and not playing it nearer the time in the late 80s, early 90s, are a lot of people who had a Game Boy and had this game have quite fond memories of it, but quite a lot of people who have come to it more recently and played it after other Castlevanias are less positively disposed towards it, Um, which makes perfect sense, of course. Uh, And we'll obviously get into why that would be the case. Mikhail, what's your history with this one? Um, I never had a Game Boy, uh, but funnily enough, I do have some fond memories of uh, early Game Boy, uh, the early Game Boy shelf. uh, How do you say that? The the early Game Boy days. 
the early oh, Game Boy okay. library. Yeah, exactly. I had a good friend at uh, uh, high school who uh, who bought one uh, fairly early on, and he bought a number of games for it. Uh, Castlevania: The Adventure was not among them, but as soon as I started playing it on the uh, Castlevania Anniversary Collection, it brought back uh, at least some memories of playing uh, stuff like uh, the, that Wizards and Warriors games game on the uh, on the Game Boy. You not know? the potato one. No, 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 no. Um, also, also like uh, like Castlevania: The Adventure, not a great game, but just that whole idea of oh, you can actually now play these sort of sprawling adventures with level progression mm. on a handheld system because yeah. anything else that we played uh, handheld before then was uh, on these little LCD single screen type of type yeah. of uh, or LED affairs, sometimes, you know? but yes, or, absolutely, exactly. So. Yeah, it was uh, it was kind of a big deal that you could be playing something you'd normally play on a larger screen yeah. on the go, even though some of those games were kind of cruddy on the Game Boy, and even though you know, of course, the uh, monochrome uh, side of it, it was still a little bit of a of a wonder to uh, get your hands on with. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, uh, the adventure Castlevania, the adventure I only uh, picked up recently for the show, um, and. Yeah, just like no further history, but just, you know, it, it did remind me in a sort of fond way of those early Game Boy days. Yeah, of course. Yeah, John, you've uh, sometimes been known to join us for games that you've kind of just put yourself down for out of curiosity. Is that the case with this one? Or did you actually have some legacy with Christopher Belmont? So I think that for me... At some point, looking down the list of all the games, I was just like, I'll put myself as Amber for all the Castlevania games. I've played a few of these, and yeah. I've, I've really enjoyed them. So any that you fancy playing, um, I'm up for. And I've got the vast majority of them through various collections and stuff anyway. Mm-hmm. So I, I figured it would be it would be a good, fun game. But really strangely, I had no like formal recollection of this. But once I started playing this for the show on emulation started kind of tickling this little bit in the back of my brain and i think that i did play this originally on the game boy probably 25 to 30 years ago probably not my own game boy because i don't think we had game boys at home Mm. until the game boy color came out i remember we all got colors me and my brothers when the they were like brand new um, but we didn't have the earlier Game Boy models, but I did borrow them from friends and play them at friends' houses and stuff. And starting to play this, I had this real weird, like, nostalgic rec- like recollection of some of the things that were happening. And <laughs> I'm, I've got one of those things for, like, in the back of my head for games where there's there's a bundle of games I remember kind of distinctly from being quite young, but I've never been able to figure out what they were or, like, find them again since. And I think starting to play this this Game Boy Castlevania game the other day, I was like, I think this is one of those games that I definitely played a bit of, probably got nowhere in it because it's really bloody difficult, uh, even from quite early on. Certainly mm. from like the second stage, it starts getting quite hard. So I kind of remember the boss in the first stage, although I'm kind of surprised that I was able to get past those jumping platforms when I was probably about six or seven. Um, but yeah, it's just got that that like really weird... I I want to remember, but this also might be like a false memory or a similar game. And I know that I had a friend and there's been like years and years and years. I remember going to this guy's house, playing on a Game Boy, 
playing this game that I really liked, getting to like the boss at the end of the first stage and never being able to beat it. And I've always been trying to figure out what that game was. <laughs> and there is a possibility that it's this. I'm not 100% sure. I kind of think it might have been an X-Men game or a Power oh, Rangers game okay. or something. Not one of the other Castlevanias on Game Boy? Not that I've ever picked up on from right. from like looking at them or anything. Mm, okay. But yeah, so it's, it's kind of this weird thing. But beyond that, yeah, so I may have played it back in the you know when it was concurrent with modern systems and stuff but now it's more a case of you know that castlevania collection that is everywhere and is frequently down to virtually nothing in sales yeah. i've got that on like three different consoles yeah. so i right. thought oh well you know do this the do this the due diligence i'll play it on the switch because clearly it's like a, a handheld style game that would be good sure. on a switch and then play it on the xbox as well so i can lie in bed and do it not that i can do that on the switch but like big tv and all that so yeah like i've I've played through it a few times over the last few days i i'm kind of i'm not like disappointed that one credit classic ben's not here but like it, this is the sort of game that i'm sure he has done the one credit clears of i'm it. not sure actually i don't know i, I meant to to check um, it feels like it would be he's done a lot of castlevania games mm. nah he's probably not good enough well, yeah, he probably I didn't can't. didn't have it in him to finish on uh... <laughs> yeah uh, yeah, I wouldn't you know tell you like. for certain that I am not good enough. I have tried. I can reliably <laughs> get through the first stage without dying at all. But yeah, oof, once it gets yeah. beyond that. Mm -hmm. I, w I would say that, uh, you know, I uh, would doubt it because of the quality of the game. Mm. But then again, he really loves Haunted Castle. So yeah, yeah. Mm. who yeah, knows? That's true. Yeah, who knows? He's a, he's a perverse character. <laughs> yeah. uh, and um, and yes, I mean he was one of the one of the advocates of us covering Haunted Castle in in a separate show, and so we did. Mm. Uh, so here we are. Yes, I didn't play this ever until recently. Uh, I also played it on the anniversary collection compilation. I played it on PS4 version what it's worth it makes little odds um other than i've got a trophy to prove that i beat it having said that i definitely use save states um because uh, yeah it's uh, it's cruel and punishing in ways that aren't necessarily uh, that i didn't find tremendously enjoyable um and yes the WiiWare game which we're also going to talk about later john did you get to that one at all or I am ashamed to say that I have just not had the time to no mess about with the emulation side of it. Like I would have loved to, if if it was possible for me to have just gone and paid five quid in CX yeah. to get a disc or something for this, no. I would have been all over yeah, it. Yeah, it's really tough that they that there's not some version on PlayStation, nope. Xbox, or Switch to get those because yep. a few. Yep. What's the name of the collection that you've uh, referenced? Is it the uh, is the it the anniversary Rebirth one? Um, there are a few well, different they, remakes they did. I just can't remember yeah, all the titles they, they did. There's the they're, advanced they're all, one all, as well with the Game Boy Advance games. So I think this no, is I just think, the anniversary collection. Yeah, Brian's talking about the, the Rebirth games that oh, M3 made. Contra, Castlevania, and um, Gradius, which Gradius. we also talked That's about on that okay. show. So yeah, the, 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 the hope would be that Konami would have got, as they were having M2 working on retro compilations, that they would have got them to include those in those packs but they didn't and i guess there's still a chance that we might get a separate trilogy in hd but it seems increasingly unlikely as yeah the the wii the WiiWare version is now uh, officially unavailable but of course unofficially it is available you can play it on on dolphin uh, as many people do there's plenty of videos out there but uh, john you'll you'll be able to hear us talk all about that yes. one later on but yeah i was i was i never had the original 
and um, I was much more familiar with the with the WeWork game, which is um, I mean it shares the title, but really it's its own thing, as we'll get into. Mm. The original game, of course, is by Konami and published by Konami. Uh, the interesting thing that I don't think I was really aware of is it was coded by Masato Megawa, who yeah. uh, is an absolute legend and went on to form Treasure, and their was responsible for programming some games like Dynamite Heady and Light Crusader and Alien Soldier and Mischief Makers, mm. um, which are some, I, I guess that you would put those ones out of Treasure's output as the more kind of quirky and divisive, or maybe not if you include Stretch Panic, Hippolinda and things like that. But yeah. they're, they're not like, if, if you were just going to name straight up Treasure Classics, they might not be the first ones you'd land on, but they are in the Treasure Makes cool and interesting games category wouldn't you say Mikhail? yeah definitely yeah isn't this humble beginnings though mm. first yeah. uh first game as programmer yeah yeah, yeah um yeah. so yeah so uh, let's let's cut him some slack yeah absolutely <laughs> and that, but that's that's the interesting thing clearly the staff the castlevania regular staff were off working on castlevania 3 at this point yeah and we'll talk about that later in the year but it's incredibly well regarded on the famicom and at nes so they put a team of noobs, yeah, juniors, upstarts, recruits on this game. Yeah. And not only that, but also it was a very early Game Boy title. So I don't think the, the company, uh, the industry had even got to grips with coding for this little, no, exactly. little thing either. You, you, can, you can really tell that as well. And nobody told uh, Magawa that uh, there's supposed to be stairs in Castlevania. <laughs> it's ropes, ropes only. <laughs> Maybe stairs were hard. But the thing is, uh, we'll see. Uh, I, I, don't, I haven't actually looked into the staffing of the, the forthcoming Game Boy games that we'll cover probably next year. Uh, but the quality, I would say, takes a, a distinct jump um, yeah. as they got to grips with the hardware and changed the development team, I guess. So, uh, yeah, because none of the people I've looked up on the credits... Um, in in the in these areas, the the coding have any more have, have any further Castlevania on their CV other mm. than other than Yoshiaki Yamada, who would go on to be the producer of uh, the much loved Castlevania Rondo of Blood, which is also on that. Um... No, it's not on that comp. Or is it no, on that comp? No, it's not. No. It's on its own. It's on its own little uh, comp double pack with Symphony of the Night that you can yeah. get on some formats, uh, and there are there are other ways of playing that as well of course uh, it's also on the pc engine mini um and in a way the rebirth game that we're going to talk about later is at least as influenced by rondo of blood as it is the game boy game yeah the game was released october 27th 1989 just in time for halloween 89 many many decades ago arrived in north america in time for christmas in december 89 and the EU version took another couple of years to come along. There are other versions which are interesting because they're each slightly different. So there's a there's a version that came out on a on a compilation cartridge in Japan, the Konami Game Boy Collection Volume One, which is compatible with the Super Game Boy. So you could stick it in your Super Nintendo, and it would add like a graphical border and some color, and that's about it. Um, that was September 1997. But then the Game Boy Color 
got its own compilation in uh, 99, 2000, where the game is fully colorized as part of a four pack from Konami. So that mm. is yet another version. And interestingly, that is not an option that's available to play on either the virtual console version or the compilation version, which is kind of a shame that they yeah. didn't put the color version in there. I have to say, I use them quite a lot, or I play them quite a lot, these uh, three Konami compilations that they put out, but I do have some qualms with them and some a little some beefs with them, you know, and S- such as? how complete they are and oh, okay. uh, yeah, uh, and, and how, uh, um, yeah, how sparse they are in some aspects as well. Right, okay. Yeah. The 3DS Virtual Console did get the Game Boy version just as it was in 2012. For You could buy it for like literally under £3. I think that's you can still do that, but I know that we're in the, we're in the sort of, um, was it the end of life cycle for the, yes. for the, for the legacy stores? Exactly. Mm. Uh, so the easiest way to get hold of this game legit and currently is on M2's Anniversary Collection compilation, which is available on... PC, Switch, PS4, and Xbox One yeah. works on PS5 and Xbox Series. Came out in May 2019. Yeah, one sp- very specific beef I have with the Contra Collection. This is, of course, a little bit incidental. Uh, is that um, on docked? If you select four by three full screen, mm. it still shows pixel perfect with uh, borders on the top and bottom as well. Okay, and not on handheld. You know, there's like little mm. s- some some sloppiness in these things. Okay. Uh, I think for most people's tastes, it will be, I I mean, I consider it a pretty excellent compilation on the whole, um, but I play it on, I just play it on the big screen. Uh, I have got the Switch version, but I always, yeah, I always play it. Um, Anyway, uh, it's M2, so I would say overall the quality is pretty decent, but yeah, there's, there's probably always things they could do to appease everybody. But yes, if you want to play it for real, you need original hardware. Um, it does have the, uh, the the anniversary collection does have the kind of dot matrix filter. Yeah, that looks use. nice. It's not bad, is it? Uh, no. It's relatively convincing with the sort of pea green and grey kind of uh, look. Reviews at the time were not all that positive. The original Game Boy version has an average review, according to the old game ranking site, of just fifty five percent, which is below the point at which most people would probably consider a purchase i would say pretty much anything below 72 i would say is the kind of cutoff point for most people <laughs> being interested unless it's a unless it's some a, a genre or a series that they're they're fond of already um mm. user reviews wise the uh, the folks on nintendo life who have registered a score actually like it slightly more 6.4 out of 10 sales wise this is quite astonishing so this was i believe the 13th Game Boy cartridge released. And in 1991, a Konami sell sheet for Castlevania 2, Belmont's Revenge, reveals that Castlevania The Adventure was the first Game Boy title that sold nearly 2.5 million copies, brought in $60 million wholesale or $100 million at retail, according to the Castlevania wiki. Just shows you the benefit of being a launch game, you know, or like being in a launch window for a, mm-hmm. a, a new idea, a new series. I remember when um when the Wii first came out, um, that I ended up with a copy of uh whatever Raving Rabbids game there was that that time right. just because I yeah. wanted another game to play on my Wii. I played through Twilight yeah. Princess, I was done, I'm like, I've got this new thing, I want to get a new thing, and, and it really you do benefit from a lot of just 
there's not a lot of games yet to play so on true. this console. If you kind of lose yeah. that now, um, and maybe for better and for worse, that like you know the new consoles come out, they're almost like almost guaranteed now to be backwards compatibility. And you have these digital stores with thousands of games, so you're not like picking yeah. from the ten things you could ten mm. carts you could find at a Toys R Us or whatever. It it is interesting. Yeah, no, it definitely happens. Uh, I remember it very very clearly. Was this mm. five years ago now with Switch? People kind of jumping through hoops to get these downloadable games that they wouldn't pay any attention to if they came out now on the PS4. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What was that 3DS game, that Steel Diver, I think it was, that everybody yeah, got because it game. was a launch game? <laughs> I mean, it still do somewhere, but yeah. <laughs> it does not seem to be very popular. I've only heard bad things about it, but it came out on the launch day with the 3DS. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. For some reason, Miyamoto has has a bit of a thing about that game. Anyway, uh, well, I don't know how big each of you is on Castlevania lore, and obviously it it makes sense for this series of podcasts to talk about it a bit. Personally, I'm not that fussed about the backstory. Although, having said that, I know that if you buy the Japanese games and you can read Japanese, you'll get a lot more flavor text and, and yeah. backstory in your manuals. So for us, it tends to to head uh, means heading to online resources <clears throat> to find out. But... Handily, somebody translated the official Japanese instruction booklet. And so Transylvania, a small country in Europe, is associated even today with a demon's legend. With his powerful evil power, the legacy of Count Dracula has been <laughs> dreaded by the people. However, no matter how many times Dracula comes back, he never manages to fully change the world into darkness, as he is always put away by Simon, a descendant of the Belmont clan. However, the Devil Dracula has existed long before his first confrontation, not as the Devil Dracula, but as an evil sorcerer. Count Dracula was a fanatical demon worshipper who built a dark castle at the outskirts of Transylvania and conducted evil rituals by night. He has summoned several demons from the other world to serve him, and he himself has been trying to get eternal life by becoming a demon king possessing evil powers. With each day, Count Dracula's evil powers become more frightening, as he spreads fear and terror to the people of the village. Until one day, a man stood up. It was Christopher, an ancestor of the Belmont family. Christopher rushed to the dark castle. Many demons and traps laid out are waiting for him at the castle. Will he be able to defeat the transformed devil Count Dracula, as expected, without <laughs> save states? It doesn't mm. say that last bit. Yeah, I know uh, this is a Game Boy game, but I feel that they talk Dracula up quite a lot, and then he does turn out to just have two different patterns of black mm. balls that come out of him and he summons a few back. <laughs> yeah. like, he doesn't do that much evil. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe it wasn't nighttime. Maybe it was during the day. I mean, it says before he has to be it's doing to the tell. rituals every night. Um, That's true. Yeah, I love this lore stuff. I don't, but I, but I also don't care about it, if that makes sense. Like, I read it yeah, and I, it right. makes me so happy that, I'll, that, that they took the time to craft this backstory. And I also, like... I appreciate it for the people that do get really into it. I'm, I've got my franchises where I really care about the lore and stuff, but um, yeah. I read this stuff and it and it feels like a lot of wonderful nonsense that I'm happy to just go down the path with. You know, um, I wish we did get more of that uh, stateside for the Castlevania series. It's 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 um, tough for those fans who do, like you said, Leon, have to go tracking down genu Japanese instruction booklets, you know, from Game Boy games to to get the story. Yeah, yeah. And I'm into, uh, you know, I'm I'm not like a, an obsessive or a or a learned scholar of it, but I'm into classic horror, gothic horror. Um, you know, I grew up watching the Hammer horror films, and and I love a bit of um, classic horror movie stuff as well. So 
so it all ties into that and it's it's in that although it's not uh it's not cutesy horror but it is more in the kind of fun horror this is not gonna it's not gonna disturb you in a way in that that something else might it's just that kind of you know bats and gargoyles and skeletons skeletons rolling eyeballs rolling eyeballs yeah yeah and there was some storyline confusion uh, to do with the in translation, in fact. So as well as it, uh, as well as it requiring research to get the uh, the storyline from the Japanese version, you'd also find that the events were different. I think possibly they've been lined up since then. But when Adventure first came out in North America, according to the Castlevania wiki, the back of the box was uh, of the game was written in such a manner that it incorrectly implied the game's protagonist to be Simon. As per the previous game, uh, the, this suggested the game was a follow-up to Castlevania and Castlevania 2 on the NES. None of the text on the box, manual or in-game mentions the name of the hero of the game. Yeah, the game is virtually text-free in the Western version. The official Game Boy Nintendo Player's Guide also incorrectly referred to the protagonist as Simon in a magazine ad. When this game's sequel, Castlevania 2 Belmont's Revenge was released, which had a more developed plot. Listen next year for our show about that one it was realized that the hero of the adventure wasn't simon but rather a new character no one in america had heard of christopher it was still figured that the adventure was a sequel however in japan it was always clear that this game featured christopher and took place ages before simon's time the japanese manual for the original castlevania mentions the legend of christopher and simon was considered the heir to christopher's legacy this game was created to tell the story of this legendary warrior in Japan, Christopher Belmont was considered the first to face, face Dracula. However, the Japanese opening for Castlevania III, Dracula's Curse, also placed uh, has also placed it in the game uh, the game to be a hundred years before Simon's time, and it was stated that this protagonist, Trevor C. Belmont, was also the first Belmont who went up against <laughs> Dracula. Hmm. Yeah. See, I so, always thought that Christopher Belmont was the nephew of Tony Belmont. Tony. Who's Tony? Yeah. Uh, Sopranos reference, sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> For a time in Japan, both the adventure and Dracula's curse were considered to be the first fight against Dracula and to predate the original Castlevania by 100 years. One of the staff members of Dracula's curse revealed in an informal manner on the Japanese forum 2CH. I hope that's not a precursor to 4chan. That he intended the full name of the game's protagonist to be Trevor. Ralph hmm. in the Japanese version. <laughs> Just to... Ralph. Yes. Ralph. Ralph. Uh, Ralphie. He, so the full name of the game's protagonist was was supposed to be Trevor Christopher Belmont, but Ralph in Japan. The yeah. manual only uses the initial C, Trevor C. Belmont, instead of his full middle name. The staff member then went on to state that the Christopher from Dracula's Curse was the same person mentioned in The Legend of the Hero Christopher. This meant that the adventure and Dracula's Curse were mutually exclusive prequels to the adventures of Simon. Ooh. Wow. Yeah. You know what? I never knew there was that much to it. Yeah. I, I imagine like a very similar conversation happened on an IRC chat in about 1996. Just back and yeah. forth, people just getting mad at each other about the history of these games and... I, that that's the type of stuff I love about this. Like it's it's and it's because I'm not personally invested in in that story. I mean, I, I love a good Dracula story, and I like I love the Castlevania games. But um, 
But if you were to get like kind of precious about the timelines, like I do, and some of the other things that I that I like, mm. like this is where like you know you've got the you've got the strings and push pins attached to a cork board, trying to figure out who yeah, goes yeah. to who and what. It's uh, very convoluted, that's for sure. And I think that they probably weren't thinking about the legacy of this stuff as they well, were making it. You know what I mean? Like that's the that's the correct yeah. answer, isn't it? Essentially, at this point, video games were being made. It was the eighties. Different teams were working on different games. The stories didn't have that much importance to that many people and they didn't have a figure like, I don't know, the MCU or something kind of making sure that right, everything right. tied up. So yeah. think mistakes happened, basically. And, and yeah. as we know, even in even in the MCU, mistakes have happened and there are inconsistencies and incongruities and um, things like that. So, yeah, it's it's not surprising. In fact, uh, Igarashi stated uh, later that this discrepancy had happened because of the lack of coordination between the teams responsible for the games yeah uh, and when eager created his timeline he corrected it by placing dracula's curse 100 years before the adventure which itself takes place 115 years prior to the events of the original castlevania so i guess that's maybe fan canon now i guess <laughs> and then and then mercury steam came along and they uh oh yeah threw everything on its head yet once again yeah but konami let them so yeah, yeah, what are you going to yeah, do? Yeah, yeah. I guess you you just um, hand wave it all as multiverse by that by that mm. point. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so let's get into the graphics. This is a 1989 Game Boy game, but mm. for all that, if you set aside some technical issues, which we will talk about, I think it's visually okay. Yeah, for considering the time it came out and. Uh... Yeah, the uh, the early days of the hardware, it doesn't look bad at all. Yeah, I was I was pretty prepared to jump all over the looks of this game and talk about the mm-hmm. the lack of background, specifically inside the castle and other things. And and the, sure. um, but when I was thinking about it later, is a lot of the Game Boy games that I remember having those kind of more detailed backgrounds and um, maybe more uh, robust kind of assets were mm. like after the platform had been proven to be a success and right. you might throw a little bit more money at a game and everything. And, and honestly, when I'm, when I'm looking at it again and, and I've got a, I've got a playthrough going on in the background as we record this on mute, just so I can kind of look at the visuals as we're talking about nice. it. It really doesn't, there's not, there's not much you can argue with it. If, if you were to compare it against its contemporaries like Super Mario Land and other things, I think it, I think it more than holds its weight, you know, for, for what, what it was trying to accomplish with the resources it had. So yeah, I, not many complaints on the visuals from me. Yeah, I'm a fan of the big sprites as well. I really like the um like the really chunky I guess it's Christopher uh Christopher <laughs> Belmont. <Yeah. laughs> After all that confusion. But yeah, I, I like that. I mean I'm I found some of the enemy designs like they're obviously things that are in other Castlevania games, like that boss that's at the um the end of the second stage where all the things are just coming out of the wall. Yeah, is that I assume an, is they're that supposed an egg? to be like or is it a wall? I was confused about that. Anyway, sorry. Is it sorry. an egg or a wall? <laughs> That's what I wasn't sure. I was trying to think, like, is this, like, are the they hatching? Are great, are they, but is that an is egg or a wall? I'm sorry. Keep going. <laughs> My apologies. It's, it's just lots of little holes. It's just like... Yeah, yeah, that? yeah. It's like a tryptophobe yeah. nightmare, but yeah. with these things that come out. And I assume they're supposed to be flea men, or supposed yeah. to be a bit like the yeah, flea men. For sure. But they um, have faces like Gonzo out of The Muppet Show. Yeah, like... <laughs> In your imagination... Yeah, <laughs> like one pixel. But there's equally there's some like weird designs. I was noticing that there's a couple of enemies that you see in the first stage. I think there might be like two or three of them, 
And then that's it. That's all there is. And they kind of look a bit like the flea men as well, or like dog men or something, mm. like crawling yeah. along. So I'm kind of looking at this, trying to draw comparisons with the Castlevania games that do have a more distinct look and more distinct kind of enemies. And it's sort of there. Like I can see it as a prototype for where they eventually ended up in some of the games that I'm much more familiar with and with some of the classic enemy types and stuff in it. But mm. I like it. It serves its purpose. It does what I would expect out of a yeah a very very early Game Boy game. And um, Brian, you draw the kind of comparison with Super Mario Land, like that is realistically that is probably the game that I have played through more times than any other game ever. I must have beaten yeah. that game yeah dozens and dozens of times over the last thirty years. And I always kind of think that that's, that game feels busy, like it feels like there's a lot going on. But I think it's it's less that it's more that it's very detailed and more that like the sprites are smaller and you move very quickly through yes. things. Yeah. Whereas yeah. this one, it's like you're a big dude and you move at a very sluggish pace. So you kind of notice that there's not that much there. Whereas with Mario mm. Land, I think you're kind of blasting through stuff and it's like the blocks on the yeah. walls are changing constantly and there's tons of enemies. I can so vividly remember in, so. sort of that uh, that ghosting line behind Mario when <laughs> you run through these levels. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. And you just do not get that here. Like you're forced to slow down and and pay yeah, more attention yeah. to things. Yeah, I think some of the um the animations and stuff are, are are pretty are good as well. There's the the kind of like mud men that kind of drip down in like a big blob and then rise up out of that. I think aren't too bad. And um, mm. I mean, the animation on Christopher himself is kind of uh, I don't know. It gets not it gets a lot of it tiresome. It's just no. kind of like a like just like this plotting, it's like a four frame animation thing or, yeah. or whatever, and yeah, and it and then it, cu- coupled with his walking speed, and so that's the, the, that's the, the couple I mean, of frames yeah. of animations. It it feels like he's really like with all his might trying to push forward, yeah, and combine <laughs> combine that with the slowdown as well. Yeah, like which, he's traveling, which is quite prevalent. He's yeah. like walking through molasses or something. You know, it, it's got yeah, it's got yeah. a real sluggish feel to it, and I'm not sure how much of that. Is the performance obviously the design of how fast character walks, mm. but uh, that animation style too. Do, I mean, his animation himself, excuse me, um, does lead itself to feel really feel like you are just crawl, like literally crawling through this game. You're not, you're not making any speed at all. That timer at the top almost feels like a joke at sometimes. You know, it's interesting uh, yeah. because we obviously we we talked about this. It's one of the criticisms that's commonly leveled against Haunted Castle, the arcade Castlevania, uh, but obviously there you've got a really quite lavish animation cycle for the period whereas here you've got just two frames so it seems to even kind of i don't know if it i don't know if that makes it seem more or less sluggish right but it does make you wonder across these two games which are pretty much completely different development teams they're both by konami that's that's about all that they share and they're set in that world um were they actually going for the kind of the hefty solid chunky sort of feeling protagonist that that the nes games the famicom games didn't have that was the idea that these protagonists were meant to be kind of more muscular more kratos like whereas maybe simon in the nes games was meant to be more spider-man-y or something Mm, yeah Mm. i think it's yeah it's hard to it's hard to tell just because of the limitations of the time you know like yeah yeah if that was just hey if we if we make this animation simple and we make these attacks simple then we can do this that gives us room to play with these things over here. It's, it's, it's hard to know. Um, the one thing I, I, I struggle with too, and this is maybe getting a little too far into gameplay is that there's not a real way to gauge momentum, um, with him. Mm. Um, so like judging jumps or like particularly when you're just trying to get up a step, but you're right against the wall and you jump, you can't move over. There are no steps. Yes. Oh yeah. Excuse (laughs) me. Um, uh, ledges, uh, high ledges. Um, (laughs) 
and it it just that his kind of weight his like the lack of mobility makes it hard to kind of gauge where you're going to actually need to press those buttons to get to the next area it can be pretty frustrating i can only assume on the technical side that the reason that there are only ropes instead of steps was a matter of time and familiarity with the hardware because this is a guy Magawa who went on to code some pretty impressive stuff and and also oversee the coding of some even more impressive stuff um and i wonder if just being given a game boy development kit in 1988 or whatever uh that was just seemed beyond what he could actually muster of course again as we'll see with the future game boy games in every department, they managed to get a lot more out of the Game Boy in terms of pace and detail, graphics and um, game behavior and things like that. So this was a, yeah, very much the 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 early steps in that process uh, or the early yeah. climb with no. As we places. as we said, this was his first project, and it was very early Game Boy days yeah. when nobody had a real grasp on the the hardware, or not many people at least. So, yeah. Yeah. And I don't know what the technical reasons for the slowdown are, given that we do see Game Boy games in the the next. Uh, obviously, the Game Boy was around pretty much for nine years before the Game Boy mm. Color came along. Uh, 89 to 98. It's probably, probably just bad optimization. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. But obviously, plenty of people, including Konami's teams, got way more out of the machine than, than they managed yeah. with this game. Yeah. You see well, it even, of course, in the early Super Famicom days where everything had massive sure. amounts of slowdown. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Audio-wise, so the Game Boy's game little sound chip, often sort of known for perhaps, I don't know, giving more than you feel it ought to relative to its kind of capabilities. Um, game Boy games have a very distinct sound that is created by that that sound palette that, that the Game Boy has and can't really do much else outside of crazy, I don't know, maybe probably Tim Follin did an orchestral soundtrack on it or something like that. But <laughs> by and large, you know when you're you're listening to a Game Boy game. So with Castlevania being such a, a, a musical series, even down to the titles of lots of the games, uh, you'd hope to hear some good and atmospheric tunes here. Do you feel you got that at least? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, it's really interesting how they they could have very easily, in my opinion, uh, just taken the songs from the original Castlevania and just given them the Game Boy version. But what they really do is they use motifs from all three main themes of the original Castlevania in the three main tracks for this game and kind of use them to really interesting and and, and neat effects to where um, you would expect it, like where you would expect it to go... um, go into that main theme from the first game, it like takes off into its own new direction and creates a new mm. song out of it. I I love it when games do that. It's kind of like when you first hit Hyrule Field and Ocarina of Time and realize you're not going to get the traditional Legend of Zelda theme music, but you're getting mm. some kind of reworking of that idea. Like it's just, it's really an interesting use of what they had. And you combine yeah. that with the mm. Link's Awakening has that as well. Yeah. With the exact same thing. Yeah. 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 Just that distinct yeah. sound chip from the Game Boy. I, I This soundtrack wor- really worked for me. It was probably my favorite part about replaying through the game again. Yeah, I'm also quite happy to, I think, plant my flag and say that the soundtrack here is probably my favourite part of the, the mm. entire game experience. Like, I, I mean, I'm probably known for really, really liking the Game Boy like sound, um, in general, like sound matrix in, uh, in its totality. Like, there's definitely games like the Mario Lands and Link's Awakening that you know those 
some of the tracks from those are things that are going to be embedded in my brain forever. And, you know, I I also know at least one or two chiptunes artists who make some pretty, uh, pretty incredible music out of out of Game Boy right. sound sound chips and stuff. So it's it's something that very much feels like, you know, as as close to like nostalgia, I guess, like a really deep rooted nostalgia hearing that that basic sound chip um soundtrack. So like the uh, mentioning the like the motifs of this and the fact that they could have quite easily just done like the previous games um mm. tracks like I'm genuinely quite surprised that there is not just a straight up rendition of Bloody Tears in there. Yeah, yeah seriously. Um, unless one of you are going to tell me that there actually is, and I missed it somehow. Don't but, think so. Um, yeah, like that is such a staple. I think was it original Castlevania or did it start with hmm. Castlevania Two? Two, I think. Two, yeah. But then it's like basically everything since then has pulled from it. It's clearly like yeah, the, even even Haunted Castle had a Bloody Tears rendition. That's right. It? Yeah. yeah, like it's it's obviously the standout piece of music from Castlevania as a as a general. So, I mean, I'm sure there are Game Boy uh, Bloody Tears renditions. I imagine that the other Game Boy games maybe include them as well. I have to find out about that when we when we get round to them. But yeah, I'm I'm very surprised because that that would definitely be a very like very obvious Game Boy piece of music to have in there. Yeah, like, it would well, work well with that sound uh, chipset. We'll talk about. Rebirth's interesting selection of tracks when we get to that game. Um, what about the the sound uh, in terms of the sound effects? Um, the usual, I guess, what you'd expect: um, beeps and crunches from from the Game Boy sound chip. Um, nothing too offensive. Anything lacking or no? Nothing too far off from the uh, NES games either. You know? That, yeah, true. That sort of the the twacks of the whips when you mm. smash candles and and enemies and that sort of sort of stuff. Does the job? Yeah, does the yeah. Job. There were a sure. couple of little things I quite liked. I think there's some birds in the first stage that are just there. I'm assuming mm. you're like outside the castle and they're flying around. But there's a little bit where they like their um their attack pattern is to just fly o- ahead, or fly overhead, and then like dive bomb down at you and come down with mm. like just a few whatever it is like pixels space. And I noticed the last time I was playing this that. If you're, you know, not a lot else going on, you can hear they do like a little core as they fly down, which is kind of good. Yeah. And I wasn't expecting that little extra touch there. Mm-hmm. Gameplay wise, the game consists of four stages. Unlike other Castlevania games, there are no sub weapons, but hearts are used to restore health, which is confusing in every other Castlevania game that they're not but then it's confusing in this one that they are. The player has three lives after which the player must restart the level uh, with a continue. Weapons can be upgraded, such as the whip into the chain whip and the flame whip, but any enemy damage will downgrade an upgraded weapon. There is a point Mm. counter, and at 10,000 points you get an extra life, and one extra life for every 20,000 after that. And as Brian mentioned, each stage has a time limit which is normally around, is it about 10 minutes or a bit more? A little yeah. bit more, yeah, yeah 12 like to 15. 13 was like the first yeah. one, something. Okay. It's, it's not always standard or the same. So yeah, four, four 10-minute levels. I, I mean, I guess you can speed run this in considerably less, although some of the levels are kind of, you're, you're, you're almost dictated to the pace of your character's walking speed and the scrolling of the sections. Mm. Um yeah, it's it's interesting stuff. Let's hear from Alex Dola, our Patreon, who says, 
I know this game doesn't have a very good reputation, but my first impressions were that the game was a competent, if stripped back, approximation of Castlevania. By stage three, however, it turned into an absolute horror show, no pun intended. The race against the wall of spikes hampered by the pixel-perfect jumping required and the awful slowdown, which is included in the emulated versions, by the way, meant that I felt absolutely no guilt in abusing save states for the first time in, this, in the series. The game has about four or five enemies throughout, and at only four stages long it can be rattled through in an hour using the aforementioned save states. Hard to recommend this to anyone other than those who bought the anniversary collection and want to get their money's worth. Oh yeah, the bosses are laughably easy too. The high point of the game for me was the music. Yeah, I it's hard it's hard to argue against anything he said, you know. Um it's, <laughs> I think um, there are more than four or five enemies if we want to be pedantic. There's yeah. at least six or seven. Yeah. <laughs> I I was I'm sure we were going to get to it, but that 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 chase scene that wall spike scene is mm. is dreadful and too long yep. and too hard. Um, yep. I I use save states to get through it uh, my first time back through, and then I kind of learned it, and I went back, okay, I'm going to play this game through, and I'm, I'm going to play it through in one shot, and here we go, I'm not going to use any save states, and I got to yeah. that. I missed my first jump, and I was like, you know what? I've seen the whole <laughs> thing, and that was, I, I wasn't going to do it. It yeah. just, it's, um, it's tough to wrap your head around, like, if if anybody thought that was fun, or if the or if the whole point was just to make it hard, uh, it's I hard. I think yeah. they were aware that the game was quite short, and yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah, that's the thing, right? Like, if you would get this back in the days, and you would sp- spend your hard earned money or on it, or your parents would spend your money mm-hmm. on it, um, you don't want you don't want to blow through it, of course. So. You know, they wanted to make it hard, of course, but due to the limitations of uh, at least what they could do on the Game Boy at that moment in time, uh, having larger character sprites, not being able to uh, throw that many enemies on screen at the same time mm-hmm. either, yeah. uh, without the, the, the whole game slowing down to a crawl, um, they had to figure out some ways to make it challenging because they can't really, like in the... Uh, uh, home console versions, they can't really mm. throw a lot of enemies at you and obstacles yeah. at the same time. Yeah. So what do you do? Well, you're going to veer into very annoying territory pretty quickly that way. You know, of course, what Nintendo did have. with Super Mario Land is just not worry about it and just let no. people beat the game 30 times and have fun with it, which may have been a better choice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that also, you know, if since we're going down this path anyway... Uh, another way in which the game is uh, hard in a uh, not in a very satisfying way is that you've got hitboxes on enemies and on your character that are larger than the sprites. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah so, quite <laughs> considerably as well. A lot of those bits yeah. with the spikes in the the third stage, yeah, uh, the ones where they put them on the ceiling to, I guess, kind of teach you that. You know, at the very beginning of the stage, like these, you go near these spikes, you die. Yeah, you yeah. you're like half your character's sprite away from them, and you're getting killed. Like it's yeah. pretty unfair. Yeah, and also it makes for situations where you know you think like, oh, I could maybe do some pull off some cool threat through the eye of the needle kind of dodge maneuver here, but no, that's just no. not happening. You know, you can't do. That. <laughs> you can't do these kind of things. Get yeah. back in your lane. 
<laughs> yeah, so Wikipedia says, while the Castlevania series is known for being very challenging, the adventure was often lambasted due to being difficult for illegitimate reasons. The most common complaint is that the protagonist, Christopher Belmont, moves far too slowly, causing the game to feel much more sluggish, and also making a few platforming sections, the floating bricks in Stage 1, the bridges in Stage 2, the spiked, the spiked floor and wall in Stage 3, and the moving platforms in Stage 4, almost impossible. <laughs> I mean, I'd say that's like none of these bits almost impossible. No, yeah, is no. there a citation for this? Yeah, I mean, most of these Wikipedia. sections are most of these sections are learnable and doable. It's just that yeah. the the re, the learning and the redoing mm. isn't necessarily that much fun because of the turgid no. movement and of the character. So, yeah. like, I'm, exactly, I'm I'm a pretty big fan of the Mega Man games, and those games yeah. are similar in the sense that they have some kind of long drawn out chase sequences that seem to be unfair at times mm. and and they have some boss battles that seem are impossible at first until you figure some things out or at least some sections where it feels like you can't you can't get through enemies without getting hit and then the knockback is knocking you down into pits like it has yeah. similar frustrations but but I think that the difference between those games to this game to me and, and what brings me would want bring me back to it is that is that those games are just inherently a little bit more fun to control and play so if Christopher yeah. was, if we were bouncing around the walls and jumping all over and the spikes were a little bit bad and the chase mm. sequence was a little too long, maybe we would give it more of a pass for it. But just because yeah. the act of actually yeah. controlling the main character is that sluggish and not fun inherently, it makes doing those things just kind of an extra drag. Mm. Exactly. It's, yeah. a, it's this whole sort of list that of, of, of uh, yeah, this, these dreadful things that conspire together to <laughs> bring the game down as a whole, you know? Yeah. Next up, uh, the game was also criticised for other poor choices in design. For example, the second stage becomes impossible to beat if the player goes left instead of right on the first set of ropes and goes all the way down the bridge. They will be faced with a dead end. Belmont will respawn there when he dies and there is no way to get oh, back man. up. <laughs> I, didn't, I did not know that. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't know, know that either. No. The only way for the player to continue is to lose all of their lives that will put them back at the beginning of the stage. The third issue many players have is that the enemies are very poorly placed. There are many sections in the first two stages where the player must grab an invincibility power-up to avoid getting instantly hit by something they can't avoid in the following section, and many other sections where it is almost, if not completely impossible, to avoid taking damage unless the whip is upgraded. Mm, and on that upgraded whip thing, like there are nowhere near enough power-ups for the for the whip like yeah. you get all your little um like crosses on the walls that you break and the vast vast majority of the coins there's very little extra health and almost no whip upgrades like maybe mm. you get a few every level and the one thing that i found that i'm not 100 percent sure if i'm right about this but all of the boss fights basically start with you you reach their arena and then there is one cross on the wall you break it and it has the little ball that looks like a whip upgrade but i don't think that one actually upgrades your whip if you pick it up at least uh no it doesn't it upgrade further to. no i think it's a it's a freebie for if you reach there without an upgraded whip but uh and i was thinking to actually leave it there and then if i would get a hit yeah then try and smash it so that i could upgrade my whip to the the chain whip again but yeah dracula just won't appear until yeah you that it's, candle. it yeah. does it in all of yep. the boss fights i think it's it's literally just the trigger to start the fight but i don't think yeah, it upgrades yeah. your whip which is really unfair as well because that would have been a nice like gimme yeah, not not beyond the uh, uh, regular ball and chain. Yeah. yeah. 
I think yeah. I thought that the first time the invincibility power up came into play was kind of uh, uh, interesting because it was in a room with those like not staircases ledges um, where the eyeballs are rolling down at you and you can't get past them in time and then there's the 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 first candle automatically spawn, spawns an invincibility power up so it was kind of a nice way to teach you like hey grab this you can get through it like okay now I know what the cross does because the first time I picked it up I thought it was going to be an item I could use from other Castlevania games and of course no these, this game doesn't have usable items in that way. But then moving forward, I do agree with the correspondent that there were, or excuse me, excuse me with Wikipedia, excuse me, um, that there were sections that it just felt like, okay, I got to grab this invincibility power up and then just run as far to the right as I can, see how many yeah. of these guys I can get through so I don't get knocked back into a ledge or, or take damage that was unnecessary or something like that. Yeah, and that's also, I found slightly frustrating that they do seem to have quite a few bits in that, particularly the first stage, but the second as well, where they are quite liberal with the invincibility power-ups, and they do seem to give them to you in quite a few situations, which would be virtually impossible to get through otherwise. Right. And then it just dries up. There's there's like nothing yeah. in the later part of the game. It's yeah, like, hold on, yeah. what happened to the power-ups? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, did you how did you guys find those uh, enemies, like those uh, yeah, the sort of uh, fist, monster face kind of things that would shoot at the bouncing balls? I find them so incredibly annoying because... <laughs> Because of the due to the large hitbox sizes, it was if you got off on the wrong foot, it was impossible to dodge those bouncing balls. And then uh, once you sort of figured out the positioning where you needed to be in order to stay out of the bouncing balls range and be able to whip those things uh, when they're on the ceiling, for example, uh, they alternate between shooting them in an upwards angle or in a downwards angle, which changes the whole thing again. So it was very hard to get past a lot of those things without taking damage you know i i feel like there are almost points where it is mandatory that you will there's a couple of those things that are i think very unfairly placed at the top of yeah. ropes there's a couple that you start off at the end of a screen transition or you transition into the new screen and the thing is there immediately and you can't attack while you're on a rope which would probably solve that problem almost right. entirely yeah, yeah. Um, but you you climb up this rope incredibly slowly while this thing fires, and I think there's that's the one. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's kind the of a one. chance, like sometimes it can go up into the bit above the, um, like above the little hollow that you're on climbing up in the rope. But most of the time, it will come down and it will hit you. And there's I don't think there's any way of actually getting around it when it comes no, down at you. You can climb back down, but then it will bounce uh, behind you yep. and hit you, or yep. you can try to climb up and then it will. You know, it will hit you there as well, yeah. Now, looking at some entries on the Crappy Games Wiki, yeah. uh, looking at some of the officially listed bad qualities and good qualities, and of course, these are always still just opinions, but these have been uh, curated. The jumping controls, while not terrible, are stiff because Christopher feels heavy when you jump. And since this game has a much bigger emphasis on precise platforming, you have to jump almost perfectly in segments like the third level. Speaking of which, the third level is a nightmare. <laughs> you have to destroy three coils to prevent spikes from de descending on you, deal with an ascending spike floor and a wall of spikes chasing you from the right, all while making pixel-perfect jumps and dealing with enemies like she-worms and madmans. Oh, those worms as well. Because I, I kind of save-stated my way through a lot of this, and I mainly just kept my whip as the flame whip, but those blooming worm things if yeah. they get hit by the projectile instead of the actual whip itself then they like start spinning at you and they're almost impossible to dodge in a lot of those spots when the the wall is right behind you as well just yeah. brutal 
Yeah, so, and and also the the uh, horizontal part where the the spike wall is chasing you. If you got something, you know, there, there's these areas where you have to double back. If you screwed up something earlier on, it's it's a death sentence, pretty much, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even just something as simple as trying to jump up onto a ledge and just clipping that wall just a little bit to to kind of keep you back, and then you have to back up and get that little bit of momentum to go again. I mean, that's that's that one mistake is enough to just make it. You know, yeah. just you're done. Yeah. It's over. Yeah. Yeah. Very normal yeah. uh, games design in the 80s, especially familiar to those of us who grew up with European developed computer games. That kind of thing was just a total staple. But yeah. that doesn't mean but it was I mean, fun. I, if I screw up, if I have to be flawless, okay, that's one thing. Yeah. But then I want to die immediately if I screw it up. Yeah. I don't want to just, right. uh, you know, keep on pushing on yeah. knowing that I'm going to die anyway. Death March, yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, from the crappy <laughs> wiki. Uh, the sub-weapons, a franchise staple already at this point, do not exist in this game. Konami's short-sighted reasoning for this was due to the Game Boy's hardware limitations. I guess they overcame those after their their first time out. This is mitigated to some extent by the fact that your whip's most powerful step now gives you a projectile attack. Unfortunately, not only is this cancelled out by the fact that you lose said attack with just one hit, but it's useless for situations where something like Holy Water or Stopwatch would have been more helpful. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The 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 little fireball, the flame whip is just a yeah, a substitute for the uh for the sub weapons. Yeah. On the plus side, some good qualities listed in the crappy games wiki. Uh and not every game makes it into the crappy games wiki, of course. Mm. <laughs> uh, you have you have infinite continues, which is um yeah, maybe that's mitigation against uh, some of the design decisions. Uh, yeah. Until your battery runs out. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate in 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 la- and losing all your continues, running out of double A's. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the graphics are nicely detailed for an early Game Boy game. Uh, the ending cutscene is pretty neat. Oh yeah, hmm. it really is. Yeah, it's kind of um, yeah, yeah. That kind of um, that end of the you know the with the the castle in the distance is kind of like that normal what we assume what we kind of take as that normal Castlevania end now you know the hero looking yeah, over the yeah. falling castle from the mm-hmm. mountaintop but on a Game Boy that that was pretty it was a pretty yeah. interesting and neat way to pull that off definitely there's even a part where it shows Dracula transformed into a bat escaping the castle <laughs> ruins which we kind of knew because it was a prequel uh, so let's talk bosses just a bit so these actually come. In the good quality section in the crappy wiki, it says, while not hard, the bosses are pretty fun, often requiring the player to learn their paths to attack them. The final battle with Dracula is decent and has two forms. In the first form, he shoots projectiles in two different ways and then teleports onto different platforms, requiring the player to move carefully. As for the second form, while generic, he transforms into a giant bat and flies to the left and right all the way up to the ceiling also spawning three bats, three normal bats from time to time, increasing the difficulty. I suppose what I wanted to point out was it really makes sense that perhaps one of the most successful gameplay aspects of the game are the bosses when this game is coded by Masato Magawa, who would go on to make Alien Soldier and uh, uh, and and things like that. So Yeah, you could even say that Gunstar Heroes' best bits are the boss fights. Yeah. Yeah, some yeah. people would. Um, yeah, so you've got you've got four sub bosses and um, four end of level bosses. Uh, any particular highlights and lowlights from those? 
I really, I really think the final battle is not as good as the crappy games wiki maybe gave it credit for. <laughs> I think that second phase of the final battle is borderline. I, I just find it incredibly unfair. I, I not maybe not unfair. I found it incredibly difficult to parse where I was allowed to stand without getting hit, where my yeah. detection mm-hmm. was, and and hitboxes issues. Yeah, yeah, I found yeah. that to be very frustrating. I ended up finding a ledge that I knew I was safe on, and then I would just have to wait for the rotation of movement to where he ended up, where I needed him to be to hit him. It ended up taking a while to beat, but um, but yeah. I, aside yeah. from that, I I think I think the rest of the bosses were 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 fine. Um felt like Castlevania bosses on a Game Boy, like not, didn't feel like you were making many sacrifices there, so I thought they were pretty neat. I do quite like the level two one with all the, the flea men coming out of the egg or wall or whatever it is, like, that's got that kind of cool thing of like, if you're if you're well on top of this, if you stand in the right position and you take them out really quickly, it's not that difficult to do at all, especially if you've got the flame whip, but as soon as you get more than one of them on the screen, you're just definitely going to get screwed over by it, and uh, yeah. You you take so much damage in this, especially to the bosses, and especially to the um, both stages of that last boss. Like the the bat Dracula, I think I went into that with like full health because I was pretty good at nailing the patterns for the first section of it. And then that thing hits you like four times, and you're dead. I, you're dead, yeah. And and of course, taking one hit will likely lead to more damage where you fall down below, and yeah. then you get bats on your on top of your head. So it yeah. can go south very fast. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I actually agree with Crappy Games that uh, the boss fight is decently fun. Uh, it's just like the overall design and mechanics that hold it back from being, mm. uh, you know, from realizing its uh, full early Game Boy uh, boss fight potential. In June 2006, so uh, how many years is that? That's 16. Like 17 years after the, the yeah after the game originally came out. A ROM hack of the game was created called Quick Fix, which resolved many issues and criticisms with the game. Christopher Belmont moves at a more reasonable speed. The whip doesn't downgrade when he gets hit. However, it still downgrades when he dies. And Belmont's hitbox was also improved to prevent instances where he seemingly lands on a platform, but then just slips off. The creator states that it was made on behalf of those who have played the game and hated it due to certain drawbacks. So if you want to play it, slightly refined there is a way yeah i actually downloaded that and and was hoping to get a chance to touch it before the show but still haven't but and now that we're recording now i'm not sure i ever will <laughs> but it's <laughs> but it's there waiting for me if i have if i make that decision sure. um it seems neat yeah. i mean just what a what an awesome thing to be able to be a part of you know what i mean to just have some passionate form of the community just come together and make something like this just to try to make the experience a little bit more enjoyable i mean that's just the fact that that's possible is is, yeah. is a really neat uh, neat option. I agree. All right, let's move on to the Adventure Rebirth. So this was by M2 for Konami as part of that little trilogy they did for WiiWare back in the late 2000s. The directors on it were uh, Toshiyasu Kameko, who was uh, also on uh, some of the um, Konami uh Portable series, which I know um, we probably talked about on the on certainly on the Gradius game, but uh, uh, on the Gradius podcast, also worked on the Parodius and Salamander portable collections. 
there was also Akihiro Minakata, who worked on uh, as a director on Castlevania Judgment, um, but also directed the Dracula X Chronicles on the PSP, um, as well as coding on International Superstar Soccer on uh, in the uh, early PS2 era, and some other old Konami names like Pop and Twimby Rainbow Bell Adventures, and uh, the Hyperstone Heist, the Turtles game, which nice. was recently recently back out of course on the Kawabunga collection and the final director from M2 on this one is Keisuke Koga who has worked on a number of um sort of retro re-releases that M2 have worked on including Virtual Racing which we covered in one of our very most recent podcasts Koji Igarashi himself got a producer credit on this release I don't know how hands on and Manabu Namiki worked on the audio um, and uh, Namiki is a, a storied composer going all the way back to um, things like Thunder Dragon 2 in the arcades. Uh, worked Battle on Garega. Yeah, audio for Battle of Garega. Bloody yeah. Raw series, Dodonpachi series, uh, Esp- uh, yeah, Cave Shooters, yeah, uh, Nam- cave shooters. Namco Museum, Vanillaware stuff. Definitely one of my composing heroes, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Game was released in Japan, October 2009, December in North America, just after Christmas. And in Europe, we waited until February 2010. Reviews for this were more positive. According to Metacritic, it has a 78. And users on Nintendo Life have an 8 for this one from a similar number of reviewers as the the 6.4 scoring original. Features... Ah, revamped graphics for the Wii. I mean, that's one way of putting it. Completely new graphical presentation designed for the Wii platform while simultaneously staying true to the original Game Boy version. (laughs) To be discussed. Uh, Quintessential Castlevania action. Yeah, I think we can say that. Combines fast-paced 2D side-scroller action-adventure immersing players into the world of Dracula as players assume the role of Christopher Belmont, great-grandfather of Simon. Upgradable weapons, progressively enhanced weapons, most notably the whip and various versions ranging from standard to flame. Similar to the similar to the Game Boy game. Originally designed by the master, Koji Igarashi, the man that has been behind the storied franchise on various Nintendo platforms for years, brings his latest vision to the Wii, it says. Hmm. Mr. Ixalite from our forum says, Out of the quite considerable number of Castlevania games I've played, I'd rank the Game Boy The Adventure at the bottom, alongside Simon's Quest. The more classic games in the series have always had stiff movement as well as a stiff challenge, but The Adventure was just too sluggish and too unforgiving, and by the time of the prolonged death trap stage, I called it quits. The game just isn't much fun to play, and unlike almost all other games in the series, the audiovisual side of things does little to compensate. So, it is then to the credit of the Adventure Rebirth that it is not only a great game, I find it one of the best iterations of the classic Vania style. The game handles well, looks great, with a somewhat unique identity, due to elements lifted from the Game Boy game, such as the giant rolly eyeballs. I also love how a lot of the music is taken from some of the more forgotten entries in the series, such as making a killer stage theme out of the high score music from Haunted Castle. And I will always appreciate a Castlevania game that gives Dracula not two, but three increasingly monstrous forms. One can only hope this game is slated for some future Castlevania collection, as it does not deserve its current state of limbo. 
you can't buy it. So yeah, I guess it takes the original Game Boy games scenario. You're Christopher again. Um, yeah, there's but, a little intro that shows off yeah. uh, some of the NES games or Famicom games screenshots. Yeah, which I really like. Uh, yeah. Which brought to mind the Symphony of the Night uh, start where you go back to um, previous game as well, of course. Um, but yeah, this game, if you've ever played a, a 2D Castlevania from kind of the PS1 era onwards, it's probably going to be more familiar to you than the Game Boy game in almost every aspect, the way it looks, the way it feels, the way it plays. Yeah, um, basically everything but progression, right? Like, because it's more mm. level-based than the... even. Yeah. Like, there were a couple PS1... I'm trying to... I, I'm bad with Castlevania names, I apologize, but um, pre-Symphony mm. of the Night games that were still kind yeah, of yeah. stage-based. But, um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, but everything else about this game screams uh, that PS1 era of Castlevania, for sure. Yeah, I would say, Mikhail, the, the, the game that it's, it probably most evokes is either the PS1 Castlevania Chronicles, which was a remake of the original, right? Or, mm. or Rondo of Blood on the PC Engine. Yeah, structurally, it's very much like Rondo of Blood in that there's a, a, a sort of linear path through the game, but there are branches and uh, divergence. Yeah. Yes, uh, there are sort of glowing columns dotted around yeah. which give you... Uh, a clue that there's somewhere else to go. So I think I, I, it doesn't exactly. it doesn't explain this anywhere, but I think I worked it out. So the blue columns are checkpoints, and the red columns are alternate path markers. That's the way. Yeah, I, yeah. And, the, yeah. and the and then there's keys and certain doors you can open if you manage yeah. to find or save or hold on to a key. Um, yeah, I like that. That you know we're going to be talking about Castlevania three later this year, which pretty much gives you a forking path at the end of every stage, like mm. go 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 up or go down. But here it's more like, okay, try and find these alternate paths. You know, I like that idea. So talk about the visuals. We've got a game which yeah evokes the maybe the yeah, the two D PS one era. Maybe you might think it more looks a bit SNES esque or, or whatever, yeah, a bit PC engine. Um doesn't really look like the Mega Drive game, but certain effects and stuff do perhaps hark back to the, the Mega Drive Castlevania. Um but yeah, it's a it's it's what you would quickly call a 16-bit kind of looking game but with some with some extra effects using polygons and other kind of uh jiggery pokery in the same way that symphony of the night did uh yeah. to sprite scale and all that kind of stuff um it's a very colorful game as well yeah i was gonna say yeah. really, lots of cool transparency effects really colorful nice nice backgrounds parallax scrolling um it actually evokes haunted castle for me in some ways but um with is just way crisper to actually control um and and compared to the game boy game as well but yeah i think um if we take the the aesthetics together the the combination of those um pixel art you know quality pixel art backgrounds and sprites and the soundtrack um it's overall for me it was like a much more appealing and much easier sell than than the game boy game yeah it also must be said, um, I was playing it on the uh, on the Wii on a CRT screen, yeah. and um, the the weird thing about the Wii and its video output is that uh, games that aren't optimized for widescreen mm -hmm. uh, they can look really washed out and fuzzy when you do play play them in widescreen. Uh, yeah. After you know, if if you still do play them in widescreen, so uh, what you need to do to when you do the same thing 
but this game is uh, actually going to the system settings, change the aspect ratio to 4x3 mm -hmm. uh, of the, the Wii system, and then, of course, adjust your TV to uh, display a 4x3 yeah. aspect ratio. And everything looks uh, a lot crisper and less fuzzy and washed out than it does otherwise. It's true. Uh, I, I, I did this, and it, it, does, it tightens the image up quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Brian, yes. So you'd never played this before? No, right? no, no. And I and I I was barely aware of its existence. Only in the fact that there was a a few WiiWare WiiWare games, including a Castlevania game that I should check out at some point. Um. So yeah, I um when when we were getting prepared for the show, I re I realized it was on the list, and and I was like, oh man, I've never played this, so I hope I can get it through emulation. I, I was able to with very little problems, and yeah, I played through yeah. it over the course of maybe a couple afternoons, and um. Kind of everything you guys said about it uh, really, um, uh, really kind of sums up the way I feel about how it looks and everything else. But the the thing that I found maybe the most interesting was that there seems to be almost no similarity to this and the Game Boy game. So calling it the <laughs> no. Adventure Rebirth, like to me, like it was kind of one of those things. It's I love the idea of them taking kind of a framework and and building on it and making something new and something cool. But when you call it the Adventure Rebirth, I was kind of just expecting a a reskinned yeah. setting, and I'm not disappointed. I didn't get that, but no. um, but this game this game feels like it could have stood completely on its own. Kind of, um, I'm not yeah. sure why they did this because yeah. you had Gradius Rebirth, just Gradius Rebirth, not Gradius Go for No Yabu Rebirth. Right. Yeah. You had they, they, you they all have something. Um, some interesting sort of links with very specific older games, though. Gradius Rebirth. It's actually in the line of the MSX uh, Nemesis games. It sure. takes a lot of elements okay. from that that didn't show True. up in the arcade Gradius games. Yeah. So they, they, okay. have to, they all have this sort of quirky little approach. Yeah, okay, that does make sense. Yeah, um, but I'm thinking... But yeah, like Con Contra Rebirth is just called... Again, it's just called Contra Rebirth. It's not called yeah. Super Contra Rebirth or Contra 3 Rebirth or, or whatever. Yeah. And this one, yeah, yeah. this one, they specifically named it after a, a predecessor, whereas they could have just incorporated those few elements that it does share right. with the Game Boy game and still just called it Castlevania Rebirth. And really, but for whatever reason, they didn't want to. Yeah, the, the only similarities I, I really saw were just like there were some enemy designs, which I uh, believe Mr. Ixalite from the forums uh, already kind of laid out for us. And um, there were some, I think a couple of the bosses were similar in design. There are a couple of enemies, like the birds that fly past you and come back around, like yep. uh, yeah. definitely homages yeah. to the um, to the Game Boy game. But but when also the uh, sort of the spears that come sticking out of the wall, that yep. section, yep. yeah, uh, and mm. yeah, and of course the the flaming wind. Yep, I I think that it just within five minutes of playing this game, you're you know collecting items and using them, and you can you see a very more a much more what we would consider. Uh, classic uh, Metroid, actually Metroid, Jesus, um, Metroidvania, <laughs> you can't not do it. Um, yeah, a more classic Castlevania, um, like UI, and kind of here's your hearts, and there's your life, and the enemy bar's going to be over here. It just feels much more streamlined and in yeah. tune with a modern version of a Castlevania game, but it's still breaking so far away from what the adventure yeah, was. I, mean, I, I just don't... There, there are nudges to... Castlevania the Adventure, like we discussed, but there is are just as many nudges to other Castlevania yeah. games. Like yeah. you're picking up keys, like you already yeah. said, McKeel, and opening doors. There's a whole section in this game where you're like the inside the inner workings of a clock, and there's these turning gear puzzles, kind of like um, Metal Man stage in Mega Man Two. Like it's like there's all these things happening, and 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 then secret yeah. rooms, diverging paths. It, it just it doesn't it almost doesn't seem I don't know how I, almost, I don't want to say fair because yeah, yeah. that's the wrong word, but 
it, it just it seems just like an ill an ill naming convention for this game because yeah. I really if this game was just Castlevania you know and then whatever subtitle they wanted to give to it you know just rebirth yeah, yeah. Castlevania Would Castlevania rebirth or you know like the others like the other games in the series Castlevania uh, the Halloween of end, sorrow though, or whatever they would call it you know oh they like, could have done that yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah no it but just, it, but, like, it, but in the end though in the end though does it really matter when the game is this good no no the game's excellent. <laughs> well, I just wonder in yeah. terms of uh, some people probably gave it a pass. I mean, partly because it wasn't very fashionable to download WiiWare, you know, outside of certain yeah, kind it wasn't of wasn't a cool thing to do. Devotees, <laughs> um, but luckily yeah. I was all over that stuff. Um, there, yeah. are, there were actually a ton of interesting games released on download for the Wii that are now no longer available anywhere else. Um, Rest in peace, Muscle March. Yep, Tamena Sana, Hydra Venture. Um, Maboshi the arcade. Anyway, um, yeah, yeah. There's 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 a lot of interesting stuff out there. Like like with most formats. Um, but yeah, this this M2 trilogy, loose trilogy of of Konami remakes was it. It's like those are three of the games that are stowed forever onto that uh, SD card that is wedged into the front of my Wii U that I absolutely you know will never delete or burn or melt or anything as long as i can avoid it because yeah i can you know obviously you can yeah you can play them via emulation or whatever possibly get a slightly sharper image out of playing on pc as well but um but yeah it's just every time i fire these games up um i think it's a bit of a shame that perhaps there's probably a lot of even like real castlevania heads out there who maybe missed this one especially Mm. if they did just think oh it's just a it's just like a a cheap, quick, dirty tribute to the Game Boy game that I didn't like very much, and it really is. There were and there were like cheap little uh, sure. remakes on WiiWare, like that uh, Blaster Master remake, for yep. example. Right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. But this is absolutely, as far as I'm concerned, a legit, valid entry into the 2D Castlevania series that deserves its place alongside the Mega Drive game, the SNES game, the ones we're going to cover in, in future podcasts. Yeah. And yeah, even the, you know, the hallowed NES games. Um, but I suppose I, I associate it more because of the way it looks with the 16-bit and 32-bit era. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's something you almost don't expect, you know, the game to be this good. Um, of course, if you know the, the people behind yeah. these games, you know, made them. You will, but just on face value, it's sure. like ah, oh, well, just some, it's, you know, some 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 nostalgia cash in. Yeah, it's just and it's just the yeah. whole package here because it's not just the nostalgia cash in. It's not, uh, it's it's not just a remake of the uh, the Game Boy game. It's it's essentially this whole new thing and and everything about it just works well together. Michiel, you talked about how colorful it was. The music absolutely rips. The yeah. the combat. Let's talk is, about the music. Yeah, it's it yeah. just it's it's everything working in, in together here to make this like a. Like I went from never having played this game to being like, this is one of my favorite Castlevania games. Like it's it's right. it's real good. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm glad you mentioned the music again there because I think that's uh, that's a, it's a real highlight for me. As as cool as the the visuals are and and the gameplay is tight and responsive, where the Game Boy version isn't. And as I say, it feels much more like a 16 or 32 bit game to play. Um, the design is typically tight from M2 because as well as doing all the the stuff that we praise them for of their conversions of old games for con- contemporary systems. They also have some design chops themselves. They've made some great games in the past. Um, yeah, not many, but uh, yeah. I when mean, they, when do, they do, yeah, exactly. Good. Yeah. Um, I yeah. mean, their, their first ever game is one of my favorites, which was 
based on somebody else's game and a Western American game, an Atari game, Gauntlet, and they yeah. they remade it for the Mega Drive, but they turned it into a like a full scale RPG dungeon crawler. Um, yeah, Gauntlet Four. Um, yeah, I'd love us to cover Gauntlet someday. Um, but yeah, sorry, back to the back to the audio. So um, as 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 was mentioned, they've taken a bunch of tracks, not just the tracks from the adventure. Um, possibly. Has it got any tracks from the Game Boy game, actually? So, uh, no, yeah. no, that, that's a weird thing. There's yeah. no tracks from the Game Boy no. game, which has, you know, good music. So Yeah. <laughs> that's a bit odd. But it has tracks yeah. from plenty of other Castlevanias, including some obscure ones and some obscure tracks from within those games, and then puts them into uh, a sound palette, which is just superbly evocative of the era mm. again with lots of gank orchestral stabs and um yeah it it has like a ninja turtles arcade game kind of uh, right. feel to it sometimes in in places yeah, yeah big like drums early 90s arcade konami sound yeah big drums big you know it, it it's not quite the sort of grandeur of symphony of the nights ost but it's it's it it sort of bridges the gap between say the nes games and the 32-bit era yeah loads of bangers yeah it's really good. It's really good. Yeah. Um, and yeah, in terms of obviously we, you know, we kind of kicked the, the game design of the Game Boy game a lot, but I don't think there's really, there's not too much to complain about here. There's way more to, to enjoy. To praise. Yeah. And especially considering uh, the 2D Castlevania games just became this thing like, okay, they need to be exploration based and they need to be have item gated progression and all of that. Yeah, no, this leveling is just and experience and all the yeah, all exactly. The things, yeah. And th- th- this is just that pure obstacle course level design where every sort of situation is a little puzzle and a little problem to be solved, you know, along the way. Um, and 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 in it's in those games that uh, level design is not just rooms filled with enemies mm-hmm. uh, that you need to you know be strong enough to to power through. But yeah, there's you. You actually need to use your brain and your wits and your cunning, and then your skills and your dexterity to get through them. I, I think I said this on our our um, our Keener and Slack prior to the show is that like just kind of the existence of purely stage based games have kind of gone away. You know what I mean? Like it's like it, yeah. beginning and end, and then you get the you know the mm-hmm. the roll the score for there, and then your your guy moves along the little map, and here you are in stage four, stage five, and. And that that progression was for whatever reason maybe maybe nostalgia fuels that for me and or maybe it's just that this was implemented particularly well but I, it was really kind of refreshing you know what I mean it was a nice w- nice yep. way to revisit this style of game and and um, I think it did get a little long in the tooth towards the end but um, but I, I still think that this I mean this game had a, a lot more of a positive impact on me than I was even expecting going into it for sure. Hmm. So if you play the game on easy after defeating Dracula's second form, uh, you get the game, you get the, the end of game. Um, oh, really? Sure That's interesting. The, yeah. I didn't know that. Not sure if you get the full end sequence, um, but also by returning to the title screen during gameplay, you unlock classic mode. And in classic mode, Christopher can't control his movement in midair. So you lose your, yeah. <laughs> your, uh, your, your dexterity, your maneuverability. And only two sub-weapons, Cross and Holy Water, can be used as well as keys. The Fireball Whip will also lose its power if you take a hit in classic mode. So if you do want to have some of the uh, 
the extra challenge of the original Game Boy game. You can you can manufacture <laughs> yeah. that for yourself, or you can just hack and slash your way through it in a traditional Castlevania style. And I'd say, yeah, the challenge level is quite well balanced. The bosses are such that they do the things you want them to do in terms of they um, they have an animation that tells you when they're going to attack you, and you can tell where the hit boxes are, and you know all this kind of um, all, yeah. all that nice kind of stuff. Um, Fancy that. It's possible to, I would say it's probably possible to, in theory, to beat this game without taking any damage, which the original isn't. Um, yeah, with a, with practice and experience and planning and learning and remembering um, which which candelabras to whip or whatever, you know, which, which items to get. There's also uh, this game, which the Game Boy game doesn't have. It's got secret wall meat, which yes. is always a treat. Mm. Um, it's got quite an emphasis on, although it doesn't have leaderboards or, or anything, it's got quite an emphasis on score attack, hasn't it? It's got bags of money everywhere. And yeah. Um, whereas, I mean, the, the Game Boy, the Game Boy game does have scoring and, and does give you extra lives. But here there are these um, sphere sort of jewels, yeah, which are worth blue, five, blue jewels, yeah. 5,000 points, which um, if you go out of your way to find them, like so if you go through some of the gated doors, you'll find like multiples of those. So yeah. there is a kind of the replay value in beating your own top score if you're into that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, it's it's weird just what a contrast um, between the two. Like it's demonstrably and obviously the same series because the guy stomps forward left and right and whips his whip and bats come at you and stuff like that. But in almost every, in every other way, um, this feels like not a remake, but a but a sequel years and years down the line. Do you think that maybe uh, they started out doing a remake of mm. the Game Boy game and then at one point just felt like, oh, sod this. You yeah. know, let's just uh, go wild and go full maybe Castlevania so. while, we have, while we have the right. chance. Right, and then you have the opportunity, like maybe, hey, let's remake the Castlevania Game Boy <laughs> game, and then they looked at what was there and were like, whoa, we really need to add a lot. Like maybe that was kind of a conversation that happened too. Like a pure remake yeah, of that yeah. original game would have been... With with some modern changes and trappings, maybe a half an hour experience. You know, they probably yeah. were thinking that's not going to be enough. And uh, and maybe then they were reporting back to Konami. Yeah, yeah, don't worry. Yeah, it's a it's a very uh, faithful remake <laughs> right, of the Game yeah. Boy game. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I do think that uh, one of the things that that struck me the most about this game was the um, just the the large sprites on the enemies and the and the bosses that really um, were just really, really striking. I, I specifically remember. I think it was the it's not the final level, the penultimate level. There's, I think the, bo the boss of that level is death, very traditionally in Castlevania games, kind of before you fight Dracula, you fight death. Yeah. And he has this giant scepter, and he, and he kind of turns it on its side to where it looks like it's going in the screen, and it just has this really almost kind of Mode 7 effect to it, where yes. it kind of like dips into the screen, yeah. and like, man, that just like, that hit on my, that center of your brain that makes you happy, you know? It just like, it just the way that yeah. visual all came together, and... And filled this, then then all of a sudden there's three scepters rotating around the screen, just kind of like these big bombastic animations and and boss battles and stuff. Like it was one of those grin from ear to ear when you're playing a type of game, you know. It's just um, it, it had that extra something that makes these games great. And I don't know what that extra thing is. I'm not a game developer, but this game for certain has it because uh, it was mm. one of those games that <laughs> I rather than just rushing through it to try to finish it for the show or anything else, like I was t trying to take every alternate path, trying to see every little secret area I could that I could yeah. find on my own. Then watching videos and going back and seeing the secret areas I missed. You know, it was it's it was a real uh, just a a, a real kind of complete and fun experience for me. 
Yeah, and I think it's probably worth saying if people have missed this one, like probably don't expect Symphony of the Night, not just for the lack of Metroid aspects and RPG aspects. Also, this was a this was a one thousand Wii point downloadable game with a very you know it's got a small file size. It was seven quid or whatever to buy. It is not like the same level of lavish production as some of the Castlevanias that would come after, um, even maybe the DS games. But as a as an adjunct to the to the games of the era, as I say, the Mega Drive game, the SNES game, and the uh, PC Engine Turbo Graphics game, it fits in that group for me. Um, and and yeah. and the PS One remake of the original. And they really packed a lot into this game, just considering the short length and the small file size. You know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it feels like I mean all the, all the the Rebirth trilogy does, but. Yeah, maybe this one even the most feels like a labor of love. Um, mm. Yeah. Psycho Hype from the forum does sum up a feeling uh, that I did want to capture. So thanks, Psycho Hype, for this, because obviously we, we've been pretty hard on the on the Game Boy game, which uh, which many people have on the Internet. We didn't put it on the crappy games wiki. Somebody else did. But <laughs> but this is important. Uh, and maybe this will resonate a little bit with Brian as well. Psychohype says, it's easy to hate on Castlevania The Adventure, and I'm not saying it's the greatest game ever, or even above average, but I was 10 years old the first time I played this game, and I can't say I hated it. i just recently gotten a Game Boy, my very first actual game console. Before that, the closest thing I had was a Tiger Electronics handheld game. Okay, I had four or five Tiger Electronics games, but they were all miserable to play. I was beyond thrilled when I discovered that our local video rental store had a small collection of Game Boy games. Castlevania The Adventure was the first title I picked out. I knew nothing about it other than it was a Castlevania game and the kids at my school seemed to love Castlevania. From the very first level, the game truly did feel like an adventure. There I was, trekking through some kind of mountain graveyard, whipping monsters to death. Then I got to level two and I was contending with boulder-sized rolling eyeballs. <laughs> Sign me up. Mm-hmm. Then came level three. Talk about unexpected. The entire level was one gigantic mechanized spike trap. Deadly spikes closing in from every direction. Try as I might, I didn't manage to get through that level before the rental had to be returned. But it all made a lasting impression. I was surprised how familiar everything still felt decades later when I finally returned to the game on the anniversary collection. If we're grading the game on a curve, I don't think you can call the adventure a total failure. It's not like the Game Boy had a lot of breakout masterpieces right off the bat. If the goal was to translate the Castlevania experience onto much less powerful hardware, I think it more or less hit the mark. At the very least, it put those god-awful Tiger Electronics games to shame. <laughs> yeah, the only... Uh, the only... Um, argument I would levy against that is that it didn't have it did have an early masterpiece in uh, Revenge of the Gator, of course, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, a, and a little game called Tetris. Yeah, um, Super Mario Land. Yeah. <laughs> Mario Land. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I like that. You know, it, it does bring it does bring it to to the fore that yeah that thing we were talking about earlier the the, the context, the time you play these things, yeah. how much. How much heavy lifting one's imagination can do, especially as a child. Uh, yeah, and and it's yeah. I mean, it's a it's a it's a big old topic, but the sort of the for for our generation, 
there's there's never going to be uh, say our generation we're all slightly different ages but there's never going to be quite another generation that has the same sort of going from virtually no video games or video games not being a thing and going through all the all the kind of the the big jumps in technology and power and our imagine and at the same time our our you know we were getting older and our imaginations were growing with it and we could see what was possible i mean i guess you know there may be other leaps like this and in, in stuff we can't even envisage yet but i don't know it sort of fascinates me that that feeling i'm you know i'm playing metroid prime for the for the podcast now which we're covering in in a future show and you know this is the first time i've played this properly for 20 years and uh, and it's still you know i'm still enjoying it very much um but it's interesting that even at the age of 30 when i first played that because of the level of technology that was around at the time, the visuals were much more, you know, impressive, spectacular, realistic than they look now. It's hard to imagine some of the the geometry is so simplistic that it's like, wow, I, I really thought this looked like, you know, state of the art back to 20 years ago because it basically was. And so, you know, extrapolating further back another 10, 15 years, and you've got this kid playing on a, little pea green dot matrix eight bit Game Boy screen, he feels like he's going on an adventure. Hmm. Yeah. That yeah. Uh, it's just it that's just the kid brain, right? I mean that's just it's it's you can't you can't bottle that. You can't figure that out and and it's it's why we can come back to games and talk about them in this way, you know. And talk mm. about them from very, you know, very research and analytical point of view, but also I mean that that emotional connection cannot be overstated because there are games that no, we all have sure. um, yeah. that are are wild widely viewed as subpar for a number of reasons, whether it's graphics, gameplay, whatever. But but for whatever reason, for our for our life at our point in time, that age you are at, whatever it just it remains that personal classic. And I I love hearing those stories because I think about those games for myself that I have, and I also like to think about. You know, my son, who is now five years old, like what, what, what hunks of junk, hunks of junk game is he gonna end up loving? And he's gonna have that view of when he gets older, and and it, yeah. it's just it's reading those stories just kind of gives you hope that it's like you know that that magic of it all isn't lost. You know, it's still there, and sure, and, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I love hearing those stories. Yeah, every every game on the crappy games wiki has still got people who, for them, it was like their first game or their yeah. most Too treasured right. memory or yeah. something. So like. It's all valid. Like everything has its place in in history, no matter how much it might stink thirty yeah. years later yeah. to people who've never played it before. Yeah, you're talking yeah. completely incomprehensible. And I think there's there's part of the culture where we don't really get those sort of water cooler moments anymore because there is just so much of everything. Like there are so many movies and TV shows and video games and you know musical artists and stuff out there that it's just very difficult to have that experience that everybody yeah. is all having at the same time. Um, and that's also a feeling that's kind of, you know, it's it's difficult to explain it that much, and it's it's certainly not something that's easy to to kind of like bottle up and recapture. But you know, if you've got those those opinions about something, you have that thing that really stuck with you when you were younger, or stuck with you for a sort of a, a group consciousness reason or something. Then you know that's that's more valid than probably anything else, right? Yeah, and we talked about. Mikhail, you you play older games with with your kids who are relatively young, um, mm. not as young as they were when we started doing this podcast, um, but still, yeah. uh, they play games that are older than them, right? Um, yeah. But yeah. It, it was interesting to me. Um, I, I I don't have too many kids in my life, but my niece is a is a very keen gamer, and it was interesting 
seeing her, her response to Super Mario 64 was that it was hideous. But her response, <laughs> but her response to Game Boy Pokemon was that it was cool. Yeah, um, I think even that uh, response will probably wane over time. Like Super Mario 64 is hideous uh, because we live in an era where people make a lot of throwback games and throwback to um, mm. older graphical styles. And even some of those games mm-hmm. are not just for the nostalgia nerds, but they're um, you know they find a, an an audience among younger players. I mean. The prime examples of, of course, Minecraft with its with its uh, yeah. chunky pixely graphics. Among for Us, example, I guess, you know? as well, in a, in a way. Among Us, all sorts of things. And uh, so as we go on, all these sort of older graphical styles will become more stylistical choices rather than yeah. uh, some ancient cruddy technology, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And, and that, sure. in the end, makes, makes older games, old, games with the 16-bit, the 32-bit, the 8-bit era, makes those games look better to younger gamers that have never grown up with them in the first place as well. Just look at that 8-bit style, how that's been done now and aped and kind of and kind of made in this new thing. Your Shovel Knights, your Hotline Miamis, your, and, then, and, and even the, the mm. upcoming game from uh, Yacht Club, uh, which I can't remember the name of now, is a, is a Game Boy. It's going after a Game Boy style. Right. Um, and it's just like that, that kind of style, I think, like, like Mikhail astutely said, was, is more of an artistic choice at this point. And I think you can see that with um, it, it ties back into that nostalgia conversation we we're just having because because you you want to hit on the very certain and specific parts of that nostalgia for people without some of the more oh my god this ch- spike chase sequence is going on for ten minutes parts of the game you know and, yeah, and yeah, bringing yeah, it yeah. all in together and making something new out of it um so like I, I agree with you completely Mikhail I don't think it'll ever be completely out of vogue and there will always be a reason to go back and 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 use those old styles as a stylistic choice for that reason i like the i just had the funny idea and i realize kids are smarter than this for for the most part i like the idea that there's kid there's some kid out there who thinks that old games all look like cuphead because it's all old and tiny (laughs) (laughs) like cuphead actually blew us all away uh visually five years ago i guess Um, i guess maybe in in difficulty of play it might be very similar to a lot of old games yeah 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 all right uh a few folks via our twitter follow us at cana rinse have tried to sum up castlevania the adventure in just three words uh, here we go. Alex79 says, poop, poop, poop. Mean. Uh, no More Spiros says, monotonous jumping. Hooray! <laughs> Andrew Elmore says, slow, clumsy, intriguing. And then uh, El- Andrew Elmore, again, says about rebirth, M2 stays undefeated. Good stuff. Thanks, everybody. Uh, so... John, you've only got the one game to sum up, so you can go first. Uh, yeah. Sum up your adventure with Castlevania. Unfortunately, although I have been, uh, I have watched a playthrough of um, Rebirth, yeah. and I've I've also watched like f- four sixths of a playthrough of it while you guys have been talking about it. So I kind of I like I I should not comment on it, but you know, kind of there a little bit, and yeah, like just strictly sticking to the adventure. Then like, uh yeah, I found this. A surprisingly, like, I don't know how to, I kind of want to say that it was both more and less difficult to get into and enjoy than I was expecting. Like, I, the idea of, like, 
the Castlevania game on the Game Boy, I kind of had very low expectations of it. And in some ways, it is sort of what you would expect. It's a short game. It's a difficult game. It kind of controls not very nicely nowadays. But at the same time, like there's something about it that, and part of it might be the, the fact that I think maybe I did play it 30 years ago and sort of vaguely remember bits and pieces about it. But there's there's like a charm to that, and there's there's definitely for me a charm to the Game Boy art style and uh, the sound chip that I've mentioned multiple times already in the podcast. Really, really like, and I thought that the music here was was absolutely spot on for what they're what they're trying to go for. So, like, and it's it's not a particularly long game. It's very easy to just play through in in a sitting, especially with. Uh, you know, multiple very, very easy ways to get hold of it now for Switch and presumably other handheld things like the Steam Deck and stuff very easy to play on and other consoles. So, like, you've almost certainly got this Castlevania anniversary collection and it's kind of a shame to to just sort of pick up something like that and skip past it and go, oh, I want to play Dracula X or whatever. I want to, I want to see the good ones. Like, I feel mm. quite strongly that if you if you buy one of these things especially like the Contra or the Castlevania ones, you need to actually see what all of the different games are about. And it's quite a kind of an interesting like little history lesson looking at the the way that the games have progressed. So I think in, in that respect, like the adventure has its place. It fits in. Obviously, at this point in time, they were just sticking like everything out on as many platforms as possible. And that's, you know, not necessarily, a, you know, something that ever changed. I have very strong memories of seeing like, adverts on tv in like the maybe the late 90s early thousands for like crappy looking side scrolling 2d like tomb raider games for phones and game boy color and stuff oh, yeah. it's like they were just sticking you know anything that they could out try and make a, a game boy version of it and a lot of those games especially later were very poor representations of what that franchise was actually supposed to be about and i think you know something that is striking for castlevania the adventure is that it is actually pretty close to what you would expect out of a Castlevania game, so I will definitely give it credit for that. Thanks, John. Yeah, so I don't think I have any regrets not having bought and played Castlevania The Adventure when I did finally get a Game Boy in 96, I think it was, and I had had for a few years. Um, I think I was aware that the adventure in particular wasn't a highly regarded game and so it never was never really on my radar i'm sure i saw it unboxed just a cart in in a you know one of those rubbish rummage rummage not rubbish rummage baskets on the front of a independent game store counter um and probably just looked at it askance and carried on playing panel de pon or something like that um and yeah having played it now as part of a very reasonably priced, sometimes unreasonably cheap collection of emulated games. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's one that's interesting to play as an academic exercise, as I always say, really, on these things when it's a game I didn't enjoy. Um, but yes, all the things we've said about it and other people have said about it, I found to be the case. Pretty turgid collision detection, level design, all kind of below the standard that you want. Um, but here's a case where you know a good case for save states uh actually being you know a positive thing um rather than sort of feeling dirty about it here's a game that's like really not very fair or um kind of designed in a way that's conducive to uh 
player fun and so save states meant that meant that i could see the whole game and not kind of end up hating the experience because they uh they softened the blow of some of those questionable design choices um however the WiiWare game uh and it is still just a WiiWare game although as i say you can you can download it and play it and via emulation as brian did and it's not available for money anywhere so i have absolutely no qualms in doing that uh is for me like the the great missing 2d castlevania from the 1632 bit era absolutely for me stands shoulder to shoulder with the the games that we're going to cover in future podcasts on the snes the mega drive the the pc engine uh and yeah if if you if you've if you're somebody who's enjoyed 2d castlevanias the pre rpg metroid type ones especially then this should be in your two playlist uh if nothing else just to enjoy the soundtrack we didn't sort of touch upon the control options but this being a wii game and a WiiWare game i think you can play it with all kinds of different configurations whether it's a, a wiimote turned on its side um probably the probably the old uh, the classic controller some of the maybe some of the retro controllers that they they re- released um yeah i use i use the uh first edition uh, classic controller without the hand grips yeah, you know like yeah the, the snes pad shaped ones yes it's always uh always a little pleasure to pick one of those up yeah they're neat and uh yeah i just played yeah. it with the the wiimote on its side which which worked fine as well um but obviously yes if you're playing it on emulation because if you don't own it on WiiWare, you can't buy it anymore uh you can you know jam whatever pad you like including there's all kinds of lovely retro style pads in, aren't there into uh into your pc um buffalo and 8-bit dough and people like that making basically snes quality pads for uh for sale and you can play uh you're missing castlevania that way and yeah do so and enjoy the ost while you're doing it Mikhail. Yeah, um, about Castlevania the Adventure, I think we've kind of, for my uh, money, already arrived at the conclusion fairly early on. Um, yeah, the reason why I don't think it's a good game, good game is kind of shared by all of us, I think. Uh, and we went into the details of why it's not really fun to play. Um, but I do... Even when I just started out playing it, I am able to contextualize it. Like if you're that kid and this is one of your first games mm. on a brand new handheld system that, you know, nothing quite like it was out before that point, And you had this thing where, oh, I can now play a Castlevania game like, uh, like, you know, like, like the ones on the NES uh, and, and, and experience a whole adventure that way. And that's one of your few games you have, and you patiently chip away at it until you memorize it enough or good enough to where you can complete it. Yeah, I can see people just having good memories of that, you know. Uh, also helped by the by the pretty decent music as well. So, yeah, it it was probably a very necessary stepping sh- stepping stone as far as uh, handheld Castlevanias went. Uh, so I can appreciate it. Um, in that sense, just don't ask me ever to play it again. <laughs> <laughs> and and then finally, the adventure rebirth. It's just heartwarming that uh, there is still, you know, in uh, in the last uh, decennium, there was a game 
or it's, it's already the, the, the previous decennium, isn't it? Time really flies. <laughs> In the previous decennium, at least one Castlevania game was uh, released that wasn't a Metroidvania and that had that sort of focus on more, yeah, stage-based obstacles and uh, combat-heavy action platforming uh, and doing a pretty damn great job at that even, you know, like uh, not uh, not... Uh, being anything less than the classics in the series that uh, led up to Symphony of the Night. Um, yeah, and then, of course, the bitter irony there is, of course, that uh, it was only briefly available officially and then uh, disappeared with WiiWare, and the only way to mm. get it is to resort to uh, illegal means. So <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, it's a mixed feeling as if there, there was one, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, a great game and uh, played by any means, by any means necessary, by any means you can. Yeah. And so say, well, at least three of us, maybe four. Brian. <laughs> yeah, I um, it's hard to, to, to go last with a game like this, right? Because, I mean, we we feels like we've talked about it for as long as the game itself, you know, runs. And, and I agree, I agree with yeah. everything that, that everybody said about it. It's um, It was fun to revisit as someone who played it as a kid and then kind of have your view of it reshuffled around and maybe become more realistic. Um, but for me, it's all about, it's not just about the rebirth version. It's about um, just kind of the legacy of those games and, and where they've come from to where they are now. And kind and unfortunately where, where the company that makes them is now. Um, mm. And it, to me, it's just kind of one of those things that like, I, I can't recommend that you play this game. You know, I don't think it's a good game, but if you care about Castlevania and care about like kind of where the, the where it went through, it's it's really very low risk for you to go check it out. It's a part of several collections and obviously available via emulation if that if that's the route you want to go. Um, and as far as uh, the rebirth goes, I, I think that, that it, it's an absolute shame that it's not available on all platforms uh, now, or at least on in some collection on some modern platform, be it Switch, PS4, PS5, or an Xbox. It's just uh, um, it's just such a nice like refreshing video game. Um, it, it was a game that, like I said, I was playing through it, had a grin on my, uh, on my face the entire time. And, and it's just something that I think is kind of wallowing in obscurity when it should be held up with some of the best in the series. Um, and the fact that that was born out of Castlevania, the adventure, although it being quite different, as we already talked about, I, I think that's cool. It, it speaks to the legacy of that game. It speaks to the legacy of the franchise. And, and I think that, both games are, are certainly worth your time if you're someone who, who who cares about Castlevania. The Game Boy game, more specifically, is kind of a historical artifact, and Castlevania The Adventure Rebirth, just because it's a really good one of those games. Um, I think you could do a lot worse um, uh, uh, for, for 2D side-scrolling, you know, stage-based Castlevania games, and and I'm really glad that this podcast kind of brought me in and, and put that game in my in my history now, because it's one that I'll always think of fondly. So, yeah, go, go check them out, and don't be surprised if if you don't like the first one very much, but I, but I'd be pretty shocked that if you have a propensity to like some of these games, if you didn't find the rebirth to be something you know pretty special. Nicely put, thank you, Brian. So yes, more Castlevania from us later this year, Castlevania three, and then we'll carry on with the series because it's fun. Uh, <laughs> even the ones that aren't fun are fun to play and talk about in a funny sort of way. <laughs> Just remains for me, Leon, to thank Brian, John, Michiel, editor Jay, our correspondents, and of course you for listening. 
Next time in issue 538, ahead of its forthcoming update and the Gold Edition and the PSVR 2 version and the Story DLC, we will review Resident Evil Village.